back to Galatians chapter 2. I want to read you the, the, the first five verses of Galatians 2 and, and hopefully cover that um, tonight. Uh, let me read that. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, um, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Um, Guys, if you're a a regular attender on Wednesday nights and you've been around for this Galatians study, I'm afraid um, that you might find the themes that that we tend to uh, emphasize each Wednesday night are somewhat repetitive. Uh, you would be right in that uh, because they are repetitive because the text is repetitive. The text, uh, at least for the first two chapters of the book of Galatians, you're going to get some, some other stuff later on. But um, uh, th- these opening two chapters is, is pretty much um, designed to set the stage for whatever, and, and he keeps mentioning the same things. Uh, maybe the problem is me too. Maybe the problem <clears throat> is that my eyes are drawn uh, again and again to the same themes that I see in the text, and thus I emphasize them. Um, and you would probably be correct in that assumption as well. Um, but uh, important themes they are. Uh, so much so that they are still being hotly debated today. Um, and I'll try to point that out as we go. But what I want to do is lift out of these four verses. Not, not uh, one per verse, but just, just themes that are found in these, these four verses that I think are, are certainly relevant and, and needed. Um, the Christian community needs to understand them and understand them clearly. So with that in mind, I'm going to mention four themes. We'll see how far we can get through those four things, if we can get through all four of them tonight. Um, I want you to notice in verse 2, Uh, that he talks about uh, and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Paul had been preaching that gospel for about 14 years by now. um, And he wanted to to compare notes with what he was saying. And and, um, so he goes to speak to these guys who were of reputation. And he tells them what he's he's saying. Well, what is it that Paul is saying? What is the gospel that Paul, Paul preaches? I've just, I'm going to mention three quick texts um, as to what, that I think are fairly good summaries of, of the gospel that Paul preached. The first one's out of Acts chapter 16. Do you remember the story? Uh, uh, Paul and Silas were in prison in a Philippian jail. Um, they are chained to, uh, uh, to other prisoners or to other um, uh, soldiers. There's an earthquake that shakes the, uh, the, the, the whole area and all the doors to the, to the prison spring open and the, the, um, the prison uh, manager is about to kill himself knowing that the prisoners have all escaped. And Paul says, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. I mean, we're all here. We're all here. So he runs in, he brings a light in, and this is in Acts chapter six, uh, 16, verses 30 and 31. He says, okay, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replies like this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
get baptized and go to church confirmation class and thou shalt be saved. Um, is that, is that what he told him in a, in a simple way? Um, the man asked, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There it is. There's the gospel that he preaches in, you know, how many words? What is that? Eight words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt, you know, there it is. Now, but for those of you who want more, there's another wonderful summary. I think, uh, found in, in, um, Romans chapter three. Um, I, I love this statement because Paul is speaking so professorally and he's speaking so dogmatically. He says in um, uh, Romans chapter three, verse 28, he says, therefore we conclude, <laughs> you know, uh, end of the argument. Therefore we conclude, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Um, there it is. That's the gospel that he preached. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Um, and then the other one that I would that I would mention and that you may want to take a look at is back in the book of Acts. It's a little bit more theologically broad and, and perhaps even deep. But it's in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. And um, uh, here it is. The statement is this. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things which you, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. I mean, um, whoever believes in this man, they're justified from the things that you could not be justified by, by the law. That's Paul. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that he's been preaching for, um, for 14 years. And that's the one that he mentions in verse, verse two, I communicated to them the gospel, which I'm preaching. Now, guys, where did he get that gospel? You may recall, uh, we really looked at this at great length. Um, I guess it was last winter, but it's verses 11 and 12 of chapter one. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. I didn't get it in some in seminary education. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This gospel that I preach is the one that came to me, not because I have some um, uh, academic uh, pedigree. It came to me by way of revelation. I didn't learn it from a man. It was given to me um, by revelation. Um, so having brought that gospel, guys, that gospel that he got from Jesus to Jerusalem with him, having made, uh, um, had all these meetings, those meetings conclude and Paul leaves Jerusalem preaching the same gospel that he'd been preaching heretofore for the, for the uh, previous 13, uh, 14 years. Now, Notice in the same vein what he says in verse 5. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel. Paul says, I came and I, I told him the gospel that I, that I preached. Um, and then once again points our attention or brings our attention to the truth of the gospel. Once again, guys, we are reminded of the existence of more than one gospel. Um, you know, he mentioned that in chapter one, verse six, but I'm surprised that you were so quickly removed to a different gospel. Um, but Paul goes to great extremes to make sure that all, that all realize that there's only one of those things, guys. There's only one of them. But there, I mean, there's only one of them that's the truth. 
but there are some others out there. Um, l- let me mention a couple of competing gospels. There's one taught by Rome, and that gospel is this, faith plus merit. There's another gospel out there by, from um, liberal Protestantism. Um, you can find it in several places in this city. It is nothing but pure morali- moralism or morality. I'll, I'll put moralism. Um, there's another one out there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's taught by the Church of Christ. Um, it is believe and be baptized. Um, now, I, I want to pause here just real quickly because, um, first of all, I just want to prove to you how hip I am. Um, and, and some of you think, oh, well, you know, he's making that up. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that anybody is, is doing that. You know, I've got one of these too, ha, ha, ha. Um, and I, I know how to answer the phone. <laughs> and I just learned that yesterday. <laughs> no, but I even text. I even text. And look at there. There's a text. And um, somebody sent me a text tonight because I asked them to. And it contains a picture. A picture that was showed to me Sunday morning. Lee Nelms comes up to me and he said, Jimmy, um, you've got to see this. And by the way, if you'd like to stop by and see this on your way out, I'd love for you to see it. I tried to figure out how to get it up there, but you know, we, it was just too late. But um, I, I would like for you to see it. It's a marquee. Get bigger, you little creep. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to get bigger. <laughs> how do you get it bigger? <laughs> oh, you just, oh, you just do that. No, it doesn't. Anyway, but it, it, it's there and we'll, we'll get it bigger for it by the time you leave. Um, but, um, it's a picture of a marquee. This picture was taken less than 10 days ago. It's a picture of a marquee out in front of a church of Christ and the words on that marquee in red letters are these. Baptism saves. Now, if you'd like to come see my picture, you're welcome to come see that picture. I, I, I hate this machine. <laughs> you're going to have to bring your glasses along with you because uh, I can't get it any bigger. But you sit out there and you say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Young says there's all kinds of these different gospels out there. And, uh, but I don't really believe him because he's just paid to do all that. You know, uh, the church of Christ says another gospel. Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I got wonderful church of Christ friends. I'm telling you, ladies, and I'm sure I can't speak for all of the church of Christ, but in, at its core, baptism saves. Um, guys, there's another gospel out there. It's called Judaism. And that is obey the 10 commandments. Um, guys, I'm saying to you, those are four competing gospels, but there's only one that is the truth of the gospel. The one that I tried to define for you that Paul was preaching when he, when he got to Jerusalem and what he's been doing for 14 years among Gentiles. Um, the question I would put to you is this. With which of these gospels are you in accord? Um, which one of these gospels are you looking to to save you? Hmm? 
This whole book, guys, is designed to defend and promote one gospel. I've, I've listed up, I've listed four others for you. And then there's the one that Paul preaches. So that makes five, and there may be others. But which is the one um, to which you look for the safety of your soul? Guys, um, our default mode is pretty much something like, well, I, let me just put it like this. Our default mode is law. Um, left to ourselves, we would always try to perform our way into heaven. I, I am here to tell you tonight, guys, and, and you know I've said this, I guess, several times in the course of this study. Law uh, can never tell me how to be saved. Only the gospel can do that. Law can only tell me that I'm condemned. Um, the gospel, the gospel is the thing that will tell me how to be saved. But the gospel is not going to tell me what to do to be saved. The gospel is going to tell me about what Christ did to save me. Um, gang, this is one of the themes foremost in the book of uh, Galatians. Paul's got a gospel. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's number five. So which one of those matches up with what you believe? Um, do you need to go get baptized to be saved? Well, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a marquee that's alive and well at this very moment saying to you that baptism saves you. Well, is that, is that in accord with your views? Um, you better figure that out. Uh, Paul uh, has a gospel. He had been preaching it 14 years. He comes to Jerusalem and he leaves Jerusalem preaching the same one that went, as the one that he came with. Uh, he reminds us again the gospel which I preach, the truth of the gospel. He, um, he reminds us again, guys, that there's only one of those, although uh, there's only one true one, although there's a lot of competing gospels um, around. Okay, that's one of the themes that I think that you can lift out of these four verses. Here's another, here's the second uh, that I wanted to mention. It's, um, it's really found in verse four, where he says, um, and this occurred because of false brethren. They're brethren, they're just false brethren. <laughs> Who are those people? Who are those people that, that Paul is referring to in verse four? Well, first of all, they're legalists. They're legalists in the sense that they're, they seek to um, add circumcision, kind of like this bunch right here who wants to add baptism. Um, they wanted to add circumcision to the gospel. Um, the, the, these fellows would have been glad to admit that not all Jews are Christians, but if you're gonna be a Christian, you're gonna have to become Jewish in the sense that you're going to have to be circumcised. I think, that the, um, I think the scariest thing about this mention of false brethren um, is, their, is their location. That is, they're among us. 
Where'd they come from? How'd they get here? Do you remember the parable of the, of the uh, tares, um, where the guy goes out and sows uh, wheat and he wakes up the next morning and his, and his employees come and say, hey, Mr. Owner Man, you know, you know what's out there in your field? There's a bunch of tares out there amongst the, amongst the, wheat, amongst the wheat. And they say, how did they get there? The owner says, uh, the enemy sowed them among the wheat. He said, well, should we pluck them up? And the owner says, no, leave them alone. Um, we'll separate them. Um, at the right time. False brethren, tares among wheat. You know, that's, a, that's just really a, um, a sobering concept. Um, I heard a man say one time, this is early on, when I was in seminary, he said, never before... Uh, in the history of the Christian church has there been a group that has gathered of this size in which everyone was genuinely converted. Look around you. Do you really believe there's unconverted in our midst? It's hard for me to believe because I don't want to believe it. But apparently, um, that's a distinct possibility. Um, and he really speaks scathingly about these guys. He says that they have come in um, by stealth to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus, that they can bring us into bondage. We'll, we'll come back to that before we quit tonight, but just wanted to mention the existence. Um, uh, among the professing believers of the false brethren, the other theme that I, I wanted to mention tonight before we quit, and I think we maybe can get them both in, but <clears throat> is the role of sacraments. Guys, in verse three, uh, yet not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. Um, what is the legitimate role of a sacrament? Gang, um, Paul never condemned circumcision in and of itself. What he condemned uh, was insisting, the insistence that circumcision uh, had some kind of, uh, was some kind of condition for salvation, that it had some kind of merit associated with it. Um, he fought it when it was presented that way, but when it was considered a sacrament and that only, he didn't fight it. Um, it's very interesting, of course, that Judaism insists upon the role or, or that circumcision plays a saving role. It's interesting in this regard because Abraham, as you well know, was the father of Judaism, the father of Israel, and he was reckoned righteous in an uncircumcised state. He was circumcised after he was declared to be righteous. That's Paul's whole argument in Romans chapter 4. But ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm telling you, the role of a sacrament is still hotly debated today. The, 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 um, the big phrase is what it's called, ex oper, operato. Um, you know, this is my own little translation, but I think it's pretty, pretty true to the words. Uh, a Latin phrase which means out of or from the operation it operates. 
You want an example? Um, in Roman Catholicism, baptism, do you know that baptism is performed on infants? And um, in Roman Catholicism, uh, that baptism w- cleanses you from original sin. You were born into the world with this original sin, but once you're baptized, that washes away your original sin. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of a sacrament that's ex opera operato. That once it's performed, it performs the work that it symbolizes. It actually does the work that's being symbolized. That's ex opera operato. Gang, what is the role of a sacrament, uh, of course, all of, well, all of Protestantism would, would balk at such a thing uh, that, that, the, that the sacrament itself performs anything. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm telling you, it's, and, and by the way, it's, it's not circumcision that's being debated. It's, of course, baptism. And I would, I would, have to say, according to my handy-dandy little iPhone here, that uh, at least this place believes that baptism functions in the same way. It saves. It's ex opera operato. Once it's performed, it does its work. Now, gang, over, a, over against that, um, most evangelicalism would tell you that a sacrament... Um, is a means of grace. Now, you know, very interesting. We use that term around here a whole lot. Um, In my grace group, um, when was that? A couple of weeks ago. um, I mentioned the term means of grace, and I said, y'all know what that means? And they looked at me with this blank stare about, um, no, no, we don't know what that means. And so I gave them a little, little definition, and, and after the grace group, I had a couple of people come and say, well, I'm really glad you did that, because I didn't understand that at all. Well, let me tell you what a means of grace is, guys. Um, if you're a saved man or woman here tonight, uh, let's say you were saved 12 years ago, okay? You were saved 12 years ago. You became a Christian 12 years ago. At that point, God did not sweep you up into heaven. You're still here. He did not take you out of your your present existence. He didn't take you to glory. He he has opened your eyes to see your need and you have become a Christian. But he didn't take you home yet. So what he did is he left behind certain things. Certain things that would be helpful to to the people of God uh, to help them grow and to help them survive and to help them cope and to um, uh, assist them in their, in their ongoing walk with the Savior. Those things are called means of grace. The things that he gave us to help us while we're struggling in a fallen world. Um, I guess the, 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 most, the classic illustration is this book is a means of grace. What I have been saying on, uh, on Sunday mornings is, next to this book, the most significant means of grace available to you is the church. Uh, prayer is a means of grace. It's a vehicle that God has given so that you and I can thrive and survive and grow and develop and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's what a means of grace is. That's what a sacrament is. 
a sacrament. In Protestantism, there are two. The Lord's Supper and baptism, those are two sacramental means of grace. Um, What Protestantism says, that for instance, this coming Sunday morning when we observe the Lord's Supper, that when you participate in that event by faith, that your soul is nourished in fellowship with Christ. Um, it's not, it's not the, the eating the elements that perform that. It's the operation of faith uh, uh, connecting you with the Savior. That's a means of grace. Okay, That's, um, that's what we would say. I mean, that's what all Protestantism would say is the role of the sacrament. Um, both sacraments, okay? Um, I, I would tell you this. Some of, the, some of you might be, find this interesting. Um, the covenant sign in the Old Testament, the covenant sign in the Old Testament was circumcision, okay? But the covenant sign in the New Testament is baptism. It changed. Why did it change? When did it change? Why, why, why don't we, I mean, why can't we just use circumcision as a means of grace when rightly understood? I mean, why, why, why do we change that? Well, you know, guys, there's nothing in the scriptures that, that would suggest that, okay, time to change. But most people who are faced with that question reply in something in, in ways like this. The, the shift from circumcision to baptism um, was brought on by, by several things. First of all, one of the things that brought it on is the debate that we're having in Galatia. That there was such um, uh, emotional attachment to, the, to circumcision that for the Christian church to make a clean break that the, that the covenant sign had to be changed. So that this controversy that we're dealing with is one of the things that gave rise to the shift. A second reason that is given is that circumcision, and I hope everyone I don't need to describe the act of circumcision here, I hope. Uh, But you will understand, I think, that circumcision is bloody. Um, There's bloodshed through circumcision. Well, because of that, and there needing to be no more shedding of blood, that it was moved from circumcision to baptism. A third reason given for shifting from circumcision to baptism is because, it should be rather obvious, you cannot circumcise a female. And females uh, had no standing in the church until Jesus. Jesus is the great liberator of women, guys. And so because of those three reasons, um, and guys, both of those symbols pretty much symbolize the same thing. In the Old Testament, do you know what circumcision symbolized? It symbolized the rolling away of defilement, the cutting away of sin. It is the removal of of defilement and and bringing about cleanness. Um, Baptism, listen to this. This is in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Um, 
There it is. Um, uh, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. This, this washing uh, of the, the Spirit's work is likened unto a washing. My, my point is simply that baptism communicates cleansing. Circumcision communicates cleansing. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, the two were set side by side. And thus, it is concluded that that's why we do not longer anymore, any longer circumcise with any kind of religious impact. But the new covenant sign is baptism. All right. But, but that is in this little section. That is the, um, the whole role of the sacrament. Let me, let me go to the fourth theme and, and we'll quit. The other thing that I wanted you to see, guys, is that we're, it's in verse four, we're right back in the same discussion that we've been having over and over again, where he says, um, who came in by stealth uh, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. The whole issue of Christian liberty is before us once again. Gang, I have spent a lot of time uh, trying to, you know, combat and address the whole thing of legalism and Christian liberty. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do but about five minutes worth tonight. But um, let me just give you a brief summary of Christian liberty, okay? Um, because Christian liberty is abused um, uh, by those who so love grace. Sometimes Christian liberty is abused as well. Guys, um, you notice that the distinction being made here by Paul is one of freedom versus one of bondage. Uh, what, what we've been given is freedom. What legalism does to us is bring us into bondage. That's the, that's the nature of the debate. Freedom versus bondage. Now, in terms of, by way of definition, real quickly, I am free to do what I ought to do. I'm not free to do what I want to do. Christian liberty doesn't give you liberty to do what you want to do. The, a relationship with Jesus Christ gives you the, the ability to do what you ought to do. But it doesn't say that you can do any old thing you want to do. And that's one of the abuses of Christian liberty. Oh, I got Jesus and now I'm free and I can do whatever I want to. No, you cannot. There's still law within this thing called Christian liberty. Secondly, in terms of Christian liberty, I am answerable only to Christ. That's huge. I am not answerable to you, nor are you answerable to me. I'm answerable to Christ. Um, I think I told you this story before, but when our kids were small, the one thing that we said to them over and over again was not, listen, your daddy's a preacher. Now don't go out there and embarrass me. Although they did uh, on numerous occasions. But the thing that I kept saying to him is loyalty to Christ. Loyalty to Christ. You are answerable not to daddy. You're answerable to Christ. Um, it, it shifts the whole question of ethics as to what daddy wants versus what Jesus wants. You are answerable as a, in terms of someone who is enjoying Christian liberty, you are answerable to Christ. Thirdly, there is law 
in Christian liberty. It's just not your law. <laughs> There's law in here, ladies and gentlemen. New Testament and old. There's law in the life of the Christian who's saved by grace and grace alone. It's just not your law. Uh, and there's, there's got to be all kinds of distinctions made between what you think is law and what is law. Very frankly, and I've said this and it's very offensive and, and I don't really mean it to be offensive, but I really don't care about your law. What I care about is this law. I don't care what you think is right or wrong. What I want to know is what set the scriptures. Gang, um, and then finally, and we'll quit. You are free to follow your conscience. Um, What you are not free to do is to make your conscience my conscience. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, follow your own conscience as trained by the scriptures. But don't you dare try to make your conscience my conscience. You can say things like, Well, it seems to me you should say something like that. You ought to be saying it seems to you. I I commend you for saying it seems to you. Just don't say because it seems to me it ought to seem the same way to you. No, you cannot do that. That's a legalist, ladies and gentlemen, because it seems to me everybody else ought to see it the same way as I do. No! A thousand times no. You are answerable to Christ. I am answerable to Christ. And you know what? At times that's going to lead us in, in some different little areas, different little paths. But we're both answerable to Christ. Not each other. Now, let me say this. If you go out and have an affair, uh, you need to be answerable to somebody. Because you know what? That's a law that Jesus gave us. But you're not answerable to my laws. Well, the way that I see it, you ought to mm-hmm-hmm. just ignore him. Guys, um, yes, all of us have to wrestle around with social and ethical issues. And we've got to go to the scriptures and find definitions. And then we've got to say, it seems to me this is what's being taught. That's great. Just don't take your, it seems to me, and apply it to the rest of us. Because I'm answerable to Jesus like you are. And we all are indwelt by God the Holy Spirit who is leading us to understand and grapple with this book. Those are the issues, or at least a few of the issues, when it comes to this whole issue of Christian liberty that is right back in that text again, and we've dealt with it over and over again. I hope it's helpful. Let's quit. Our Father, uh, we are grateful for your word. It is, it is this means by which we know who you are, what you're like, what you say, what, you, what definitions are, are important to you. And I pray, oh God, that you, will, um, that you will lead us as we try to grapple with you through this book. And Father, so often the body of Christ, as we labor alongside each other, we can help each other figure out what you've said. Use us in that regard, Father. Might there be a, 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 a mutual support that is being realized and enjoyed um, right here among 
these brothers and sisters. We commit ourselves to that and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.